her in it. <laughs> Hello. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to Modern Medieval, the podcast. I'm Ello. And I'm Megan. <laughs> um, this week is kind of like a little mini episode. We're using it a bit as like a teaser for what we want to talk about next week. But um, so the reason why I riveted at the beginning or croaked or whatever you want to think is <laughs> we were thinking, oh, well, this is, you know, spooky season or Halloween season. Um, not really sure if that's such a big thing in the UK and Europe. I mean, in America, it's very like horror films and slasher films and candy. Um, the UK more so than elsewhere. Yeah. But I don't really know. I do know that at least like Celtic or Druid countries have, you know, like Samhain, mm. and, which is the origins of Halloween. But I also do know that there are other origins. But we thought, oh, well, with Halloween coming up, we should kind of get spooky and talk about death. So next week, we... <laughs> love it so much. Next week, we're going to be talking about medieval images of death. And then the week following, we plan on talking about Halloween traditions throughout time. So again, Samhain, Greek traditions, how that relates to medieval, as well as All Souls and All Saints Day, which is November 1st and 2nd. So this episode we thought would be kind of a fun setup with that, where in our research for medieval images of death, we came across a lot of frogs and toads that are depictions of like decay and death along with, you know, worms and skulls. And though frogs could have their whole own separate episode, and we will potentially do that in the future, we were both like, but there's, you know, fairy tales about something comes to mind. Frogs. Yeah. So Ello, do you want to kind of share where we're wanting to go with today? <laughs> so we decided that we wanted to speak about the princess and the frog. But yeah. the new Disney adaptation, I think it's the only Disney adaptation, am I right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, there yeah. are, you know, frogs and other films. And other tales. But yeah, yeah it's primarily based on that folklore. Yes, you are correct. And then um, I must admit that, like, aside from the classics that I've watched when I was a child, I haven't really kept up with Disney as much as maybe others. So for me, it was the first time watching. Uh, the Princess and the Frog, and like seeing mm-hmm. how Disney had tried to maybe evolve and speak of different things in a different way. Yeah, so uh, The Princess and the Frog, for those of you, I was shocked that it was 2009. I yeah, felt like it too. had come out in like 2013 or 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it was so old. It made me feel old. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually kind of don't even remember when it came out. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, it's a really interesting, so as like, I guess a setup for those. So this is a modern retelling of the frog princess or the frog prince folk tales. So, or, or fairy tales, they both kind of come through the brothers Grimm who we've mentioned previously. Um, they took folk tales from Germany and then readapted them. Yeah. Right. In the early 19th century. And so traditionally, the Frog Prince is the first story in their collection, which I didn't know until I, I didn't, didn't either. Um, but same sort of, you know, idea where a prince or a princess is cursed, it becomes a frog, and then through either 
a kiss, you know, true love's first kiss. Or there are some <laughs> other ones where it was like just sleeping the night on the princess's pillow or, you know, something like that was enough to break. It's, like a, it's a bit of a euphemism though, you know. Yeah. It's always with these tales, like it sounds, um, it says one thing, but it sounds different really. Yeah, exactly. But as we know, folk tales have earlier origins than when they were written down. Yeah, yeah. So, like, for example, with the Frog Prince, though it's best known through the Brothers Grimm and then through time, you know, the centuries following, the origins of that particular story are postulated to perhaps have had elements going far back to the Roman times, mm. partially because in um, an aspect of the story Richard referred to in Petronius's Satyricon, um, there's a character, Trimalchio, who remarks, the man who was once a frog is now a king. And this is kind of a complicated statement because some scholars think that, you know, transformation frog to king. Others say, well, actually, this could just be a satirical joke about the emperor Nero because he was often mockingly referred to as a frog. So it could go either way. And then there are also further folk- folklorists such as Stith Thompson, big-time folklorist, helped make the um, categorization system of Arne Thompson, which indexes certain folk tales by, like, categories and tropes and structures and then bases them into, like, a a system, um, suggests that the story of the Frog Prince or Frog King in the German tradition begins somewhere in the 13th century with a literary tale in Latin. So that's kind of like a medieval element as well, but also just kind of gestures towards the murky backgrounds mm-hmm. of folk tales. And different regions will have different versions of the folk tale. Um, there's lots of Russian or Slavic versions of the, the frog princess, which is really interesting. Um, usually her name is uh, Vasilisa, which is like uh, the Slavicified of Basil. Or Basio. Oh. Um, so quite interesting. Um, but usually her that name, she's related to the frog princess. And just related to that really, really quickly, I think this is a fun medievalism or modern medieval twist. Um, so the frog princess, um, there was a musical version in 1997 based on the theme of this frog princess story by a band called The Divine Comedy. No way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were a chamber pop band from Northern Ireland formed in 1989 and fronted by Neil Hannon. So I just thought wow. that was like a fun kind of loop-de-loop, you know. Of That's so interesting because I was like, the, the, I mean, this is not really related to what we're going to speak about, but the Divine Comedy's place in the UK or in the English-speaking countries is very, it's an interesting history of the text. I mean, a history of the history of the text. Mm-hmm. Um, because it like was first translated in the 18th century. Um, obviously badly translated and then retranslated and retranslated. But um, it's so interesting to see like how popular an Italian medieval text becomes, you know, and how like it has two or three different lives and how it's inspired art and culture and literature and all that kind of thing. So it's very cool to know that like a band from Northern Ireland, which... To be honest, I was reading um, The Beginning of Milkman. I don't know if you've read it, the novel. No, I haven't. It's by, I think, 
something Burns. I don't remember what her name is. Sally, maybe Sally Burns um, or Anna Burns. Okay. Sorry, this is anyway. Um, but it's based in Northern Ireland, and I was like, I don't really know anything about Northern Ireland. I mean, I know a bit, but I haven't. I don't really imagine it in my mind. Mm. And so it's interesting to know that, like, you know, the little loops and the little histories and everything, how it all connects. Yeah, well, and then we're, I'm going to take this one step further with the Italy connection and the Princess Frog. Um, Italo Calvino yeah. included um, another Italian variant of this story from Piedmont, the prince who married a frog, in um, his Italian folk tales, noting yeah. that the tale is common throughout Europe. So you've oh, mentioned Calvino a few times. And, yeah. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> I would recommend everyone to read at least one of his short stories. I think you didn't, most people would enjoy them. Um, everyone would be too much, you know, to ask. <laughs> most people is realistic. Yeah. So I just, you know, talking about the, the fairy tale and its, you know, connections through everywhere um, and everything. So now we go to like, you know, the Disneyfication in 2009, yeah. which is set in New Orleans in the yeah. 1920s and 1930s, which is a very particular moment in a very particular place in American history. And for this story, just really curious, I find mm. personally. Um, so I guess just before we start, you know, an analysis, Ella, do you have any just like thoughts on the film as a whole? Just anything? Um, so that was very, obviously the, the story itself remains the same, but, um, the way that the princess is portrayed is actually much more realistic of what a, a girl might be like. So at <laughs> the beginning you have, you know, there's two little girls sitting and like a story being told to them actually the princess and the frog mm-hmm. um and one of them goes yeah and in true love kiss will solve everything and one of them goes Bleh. and I was just like yeah that's what it's like when you're five like that <laughs> actually makes sense it's accurate um and then I thought it was kind of I don't know like I feel like it's always good that there's a diversification of stories mm-hmm. and of um the type this you know it's no longer really the same stereotype but then often it can be overdone or it can be yeah you know not representative of reality so like the fact that they've put um what is it called black magic or yeah so they use um voodoo which voodoo. i'll talk about yeah in a little bit yeah i don't know really how good that is to mix that in the this kind of diversification of of a story I don't know but then also I thought it was quite I've watched quite a lot of cooking shows so it's <laughs> in New Orleans and there's food and everything made it interesting for me but I don't know these are my rambly thoughts sorry <laughs> <laughs> no it's great I mean we hear my rambly thoughts all the time um yeah so watching it so this was my first time watching it all the way through I had seen parts of it especially the end and so when this came out in 2009, it was trying to be a revival of the Disney Renaissance that occurred in the late 80s and early 90s with right. films like The Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast, you know, the like some of the quintessential Disney modern films. Disney films, you know, that followed, you know, your Sleeping Beauties and Bambies, Peter Pan's, Pinocchio's of the 40s, 50s and early 60s. Um, and, you know, being an animated film. So yeah, the diversification, I think, mean, of course, it was just due time to have a 
princess and protagonist and other protagonists of color. Yeah. I mean, because Aladdin's just not. not right <laughs> I still feel like this fell short at points. Yeah. Um, and I personally felt a bit disappointed by the animation because you could tell that there was CGI use for like some of the buildings and everything. And I just felt like that kind of took away from some of the magic that is pure animation. Maybe I'm mm. tra- too traditionalist in that. I just, and I don't know, I feel like some of the more modern cartoons that are illustrated, you know, if they're on Cartoon Network or um, Nickelodeon or something, like I feel like SpongeBob SquarePants is a good example of what I'm talking about. You look at like early SpongeBob in the early 2000s versus um, after its five year hi- hiatus when it was reanimated in the late to mid 2000s. And the colors just become so bright and kind of garish. Mm, and the style kind of changes. Mm. It's still the same, but there's like a subtle difference. And I just felt like the Princess and the Frog had that in it. And I just, I don't know, it just, it didn't feel as intricate and detailed and as much care. Um, mm. as earlier ones. And again, if you disagree, that's fine. Again, I sound probably very traditionalist and like, mur, mur, mur. but I just kind of mm. felt like that the entire time. I also felt like the story was a bit rushed along and wasn't as like impactful as it could have been and had yeah. a lot of like, maybe it's because I'm older and watching a film without a child present, but I felt like it was trying too hard at points to be like child friendly, you know, like, I loved the character of Ray, but when he's like, don't make me use my butt and stuff. And I was like, Ugh, come on. Be a I bit don't know, because I feel like, <laughs> yeah, but do you think that that is also our yeah, mid-20s perhaps. perspective? Because I, I always think that with cartoons, so I, I never maybe. Really... Yeah, it's a hard one, because maybe, you know, when I rewatch earlier Disney films, there is that nostalgia, so it feels different watching it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But I did really appreciate the character of the... Uh, alligator that plays the horn i really loved that character i was loving that and i I also thought that the the firefly the firefly is my favorite character ray yeah Uh, with evangeline who they're like that's venus the night star and he's and then it's actually not it's really evangeline it's really i mean it is sweet but yeah it i don't know so I think I've alluded to this in the show before. I I mean, it was just two months, but I have lived in New Orleans and I was studying um, 1850s New Orleans. So I had to do a lot of history from French establishment of New Orleans in 1716 all the way till today and like living there in um, 2016. So you also have all the history behind you. From like what I did. I mean, it was from my BA honors thesis, but like... I was going to the archives and was there every day. And so there were elements that were definitely captured, like the music and the streets. Mm -hmm. I mean, New Orleans is top three favorite cities in the world, if not. I mean, it is truly magical. There is no place like it. Um, Just the architecture, the food is extraordinary. Is it as good as it looks? It is fucking amazing. It is so yeah. good. <laughs> On all of the um, Netflix cooking shows, I think they're all together, to be honest, because like, I think they're always, there's always a pit stop at, in New Orleans. Oh, and the food yeah. always looks so good, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's heavy food. So, you know, like beignets, which are the fried donuts that she makes throughout with the powdered mm. sugar. You know, and you go to the famous uh, Café du Monde, which is right across from Jackson Square, which um, appears in the, the film. 
Um, you have beignets with coffee. Um, I mean, they're amazing, but they can be kind of heavy. You've got jambalaya, you've got gumbo, um, Cajun and Creole dishes. I mean, it's amazing. And mm-hmm. so in this, I was like, yes. Well done. <laughs> and then like the music everywhere and the jazz. I really loved that because New Orleans is like that. You just walk down the street and there are people out playing, people out dancing. You know, like in the beginning cool. when the prince dances with the kids, like that still That's happens. Really cool. Like I have videos on the old phone that I had when I lived there of kids tap dancing in the street. and um, Magical. It, it it truly is magical. Um, people so are in that case, so nice. they've really chosen the yeah. right city in America to to base their film off. For like this kind of atmosphere, definitely. Mm. Um, I think that there was some of the issues of kind of um, I can't remember her name, but the blonde character, you know, like the best friend character, yeah, 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 the dad, and being kind of the southern charm, wealthy white individuals you know, um, related to like a plantation past. Mm. So in New Orleans, for those of you who don't know, New Orleans, even though it was a main trade center for slave trade and the triangle trade was also the, one of the, if not the first city in America to have free people of color. And so people of color have had autonomy in New Orleans alongside having one of the highest like slave populations. Um, Mm. So there's this really dynamic history, and a lot of that it has to do with the French and the Spanish colonial histories in New Orleans. Right. So by the Civil War in 1861, um, New Orleans had equivalently for 45 years been French, Spanish, French for a brief period of time, and then American, right. uh, whatever American was you know you want to consider. So when you go to like the French Quarter, for example, and you're walking around, you know, and it's really famous for the um, the balconies and pillars. So that's actually Spanish architecture with the Mm. French twist. So the French quarter is actually based just off the French culture that was Mm. there at the time that then became Spanish and then like refrenchified. So there's just, there's a lot going on in New Orleans. Um, That's part of what makes it so charming. And so part of this is, you know, our our villain character practices um, voodoo Mm. in the film. And... So voodoo, particularly Louisiana voodoo, has a really, really convoluted history. So it comes from Western Africa, um, African religions that were brought over due to slavery. I think Mm -hmm. everyone kind of knows that. Right. And then you get Louisiana voodoo, which is also known as like a New Orleans voodoo. Okay. So it's a set of spiritual beliefs. It's a religion. So it's Mm -hmm. spiritual beliefs and practices coming from this African diaspora. And then it has, and it's different than Haitian voodoo. Haitian voodoo is Haiti gods, Haiti indigenous peoples interacting with both slave trade as well as, um, you know, colonial, like Christianity, Catholicism. Right. So those are, they have, they get conflated together sometimes, but they're actually they are different. So voodoo in regard to Louisiana voodoo has a liturgical language or, you know, it's, it's spoken sacred language, which is Louisiana Creole. Okay. And that comes from um, both indigenous mixing with French. And there's also Louisiana French, which if you've ever seen the water boy, 
and the coach who talks kind of like, nah, 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 nah. like you just can't understand what he's saying. That's Louisiana French. Of course, that's like a joke on it, but it's this just really, really like tight language. Yeah, like it's mm. very you grow up in it and it's cultural. I don't know if it's like if you can learn it. Like it's yeah, really it's, okay, cool. Um, but so Louisiana Creole comes from Louisiana Creole people, which is an indigenous people mixing. Yeah. Um, so this is like an example of, um, if you will, this is not the right term, but like, you know, like pagan or indigenous cultures mixing mm-hmm. with European, uh, Christian culture. Um, so, you know, it becomes syncretized with the Catholic and Francophone culture. And as a result, we get voodoo. So there's also to make this even deeper. So we've got Louisiana voodoo, we've got Haitian voodoo. And then we have deep southern hoodoo. So that's with an H and it's H-O-O-D-O-O. So hoodoo isn't necessarily the religion. It's more of like just a spiritual practice. Mm. So there's also other elements without getting too tactical because it is complicated of like um, there is gree which are like the necklaces or the talismans that ward off um, evil spirits. Um, you have hoodoo paraphernalia, um, Le Grand Zombie, which is like the god, the great zombie, and then voodoo dolls, which historically oh. are not used like they're used in this film or what we think of culturally with like picking somebody or pinning somebody and them being in pain. Mm. That's not what they're used for. They're actually meant to be for cures where you'll okay. pin one pin into the the likeness, the doll, that then names the doll and connects the spirit. Okay. If you were to use a voodoo doll incorrectly, according to the tradition, or in a way that is meant to cause harm, that's hoodoo. So this is based off what I learned when I was in New Orleans and like my reading. Um, so that's I a lot be- of different, really like it's very intricate. And- yeah. So hoodoo, from at least my understanding, from what I recall, and have like in my studies is like the black magic, whereas voodoo is a white magic. That's okay. a very, very watered down, but yeah, those are some of the separations. And so it was just interesting in the Disney film, the use of voodoo, voodoo. the way that it was, because it had yeah. some true elements, like the masks on the wall in the beginning when he's, you know, reading the tarot cards that are gesturing toward the African diaspora and the slave mm-hmm. trade and that, you know, culture. But then, yeah, it gets in that melting pot that gets really messy with hoodoo and improper use of voodoo and the improper understanding of what, you know, like voodoo is. Yeah. Um, and I think that has the potential to like um, cause, you know, incorrect. Um, yeah. It's always a problem with cartoons, right? Like, yeah. The history is always watered down. But with things that are kind of complicated, if you water it down too much, it can just be incorrect. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, I feel like voodoo is very much kind of like the medieval in a way where there's a blanket understanding or cultural image of it. Yeah. That's a bit of a hodgepodge of truth, warped truth, and then just kind of uh creations or fantasies of what it is yeah Um, I think that's really what I was kind of thinking when I was watching it is I I like a lot of it but then I don't really think that there's any need for hoodoo in the story 
like it doesn't add anything it could have been magical in another way yeah it worked just fine like this is too perhaps too complicated and too simplistic at the same time yeah I think it was like oh well we want to do something different and rather than having you know like a maleficent character um that is just kind of like a evil fairy if you will let's use like their local spiritual practice and like voodoo you know having the cultural associations yeah. was like natural but like but I think it could potentially yeah. do more damage at the same exactly, time that's, by perpetuating this idea. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it kind of, you know, it's kind of like when, you, when you're cooking, right? Mm-hmm. You have a perfect recipe, which is the story. Mm-hmm. And now you, there's many ways that you can recreate this recipe in different ways. Mm-hmm. But then if you add too much salt or too much pepper or too much whatever, then it's just spoiled. And it's kind of the same kind of feeling here is that like yeah. the imbalance that's created by this addition, when the story worked perfectly well on its own, like there was no need for this. Yeah, I just, I feel like going off that, you know, kind of cooking metaphor that this story had, it had the elements to make, you know, a good new film. And I just feel like it fell flat, that it was watered down, that they were trying to do too Too much. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And in that, you know, it lost elements of the story. I think it lost, I personally thought that the music in it could have been a lot better. Maybe I must admit, now this is, I know, super controversial. I just skip songs because I find them like just, it, it takes too much of like emotional commitment that I just don't have. <laughs> like, because I know that two of the songs were um, nominated for Academy Original Song. Oh, um, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I feel like maybe one won. Maybe I'm wrong. One was like the dream sequence at the beginning when she's dancing and it's like the 1920s uh, when she's singing to her mom about their gold dream she has for her restaurant which I couldn't help but think of um Hercules and the women on the vase dancing and singing I felt like there was a lot of thoughts that that throughout it um just the way that like the silhouettes and the illustration was which was kind of like 2d flax it was being art deco um or alluding to the art deco yeah I don't know I mean I appreciate the attempt but I just I found story-wise that it could have been much simpler and that they could have powerful. Yeah. And that there were just scenes that felt like unnecessarily long and like the swamp where I was like, you wasted so much time on their like funny, their tongues getting stuck together. Whereas like you could have used a minute of that somewhere else in this hour and a half film to have been more impactful. Actually, I would agree with you. I, because so for, for the audience's knowledge, um, because I'm now working, we only have a limited window every week to record. And last week, unfortunately, Megan got a headache, a migraine, sorry. And so we had to skip. Not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was watching it on Sunday. <laughs> I'm always a last minute kind of person. So I was watching it and it felt mm-hmm. very, very long. Yeah. And I didn't really realize this because I was watching it and trying to, you know, like take it in and not really reflecting on it. But it did feel like longer than it should have. Yeah, it just, the flow, the pacing fell off to me. Yeah. And I realized this is turning much more into a, like, movie review session. But, I mean, it was, oh. it, it's just funny, like, but, but, no, I completely agree. And I just, I think that I appreciated them taking this German folktale and putting it somewhere yeah. that wasn't traditionally yeah. fairy tailed, you know, like a, a Sleeping Beauty or a Snow White. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, for example... 
you know, something like the Emperor's New Groove mm. was done like so well and being in a different place and like so funny. And that's like one of my favorite animated films. Right. Um, right. And I feel like this tried to kind of capture that like modern, different, you know, kind of scenario. And I felt like it was just a much more of a mixed bag after this. So like, for example, Frozen was supposed to be animated like this. Um, and it was, it was cause that's based off the snow queen, but based off the mixed reviews that this got because of things like what we're talking about, they decided to go the Pixar animation route and revamp the story. Mm. And they produced frozen, which has been a major success for them. I mean, there are some animated elements in frozen, um, like old school animation, like snowflakes and things, but yeah, I just, mm. I feel like it was a missed opportunity for that, like magic of, old school animation that kind of got, I guess, lost in the corporate wheel and like money producing element of Disney. Um, Yeah. Oh, well. But what's, what else is new really? Yeah. But so one thing, if you're kind of like, okay, but why is this modern medieval, you know, like where you started off with and how does this link to next week? So it's the idea of being turned into a frog. So frogs in the middle ages, as we said earlier, are associated with decay and death and um, being gruesome and slimy and from the ground. Um, so like frogs, worms, snakes, and toads would be included on like dead bodies and mm. medieval imagery. So there is this reason why being turned into a frog had significance in folk tales. And yeah. in there's also the frog is like a butterfly where there's also the idea or symbolism of transformation from Mm. the egg to the tadpole to the tadpole changing with the legs sprouting out into the frog or the toad. So there's also that arc related to it, but yeah, they're low. They, They have to look up. That's why when you watch a film or a TV show, when you're looking down and looking up, that's a frog's eye view. That's what that shot's called, rather bird's oh, eyes I didn't know that. from on top. Yeah, the, that's kind of that very loose thread of the medievalism in this, alongside just that romantic idea. I mean, in the beginning of the Princess and the Frog, as you were saying, Ella, where they're reading the storybook and turning mm. the pages. Yeah. I mean, Nothing. yeah, yeah, yeah. That immediately goes to uh, Sleeping Beauty manuscripts, yeah, and yeah, yeah. manuscripts, uh, Princess being saved. I mean, of course, this tried to like twist it where it was like the prince needed to be saved, but then they both need to be saved. And, you know, it has the more modern ending. We've got the traditional villain, uh, a Disney villain, at least, that's dressed in the purples and the greens, just like Maleficent. Mm. Um, That's true. Even the queen in the original Cinderella had like the, or not Cinderella, excuse me, uh, Snow White had the dark colors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's our kind of like movie review slash medieval take briefly on the princess and the frog. And the frog. <laughs> also got, it shows up in the background, but um, Jackson Square, you have the cathedral. Uh, that's the white cathedral that actually looks like a castle because it's built in the Gothic style. I don't know if you recall, Elo, but I did no, a pre- one of the little presentations it. for Bob. Oh, yes. No, no, I do remember. Sorry. It just shows up in the background because it's part of the setting. But mm. there's this like very gothic white castle church structure that's mm. at uh, Jackson Square that shows up in the background. So yeah, and then of course the gothic elements of, yeah. of underground and superstition and magic. 
which we've that's what talked about (laughs) thoughts or other final comments Ella, on this no not really I think babbled enough (laughs) same um so yeah this was just as we said for the umpteenth time just kind of a prelude to next week where we get to talk about death in the medieval Ella, why don't you uh tell them where they can find us so if you want to listen to us um supposedly you are listening to us but if you want other places to listen to us you can find us on apple podcast on spotify on uh, amazon and audible you just type modern medieval podcast um you can find us on social media you can find us on instagram by typing podcast.modern.medieval um you can find us on email by typing uh, modern.medieval.podcast at gmail.com we're also on youtube um just type modern medieval podcast and we are on twitter yes twitter our handle is at medieval underscore modern so you can find updates and new episodes and whatnot there we're also on Facebook. I think we forgot oh, to yes. mention that. Did we? Uh, we have a page and a group, Modern Medieval, the podcast, very easy to find. As always, please send us your comments, questions, queries, concerns, statements, memes, songs, images. Or ideas. And, yeah, anything <laughs> and everything. Also, if you disagree with us, yeah. maybe you like Princess and the Frog is your all-time favorite, favorite, you know, and you're just like, you were wrong on all these accounts. Yeah, bring yeah, it yeah. along. Make it You're not turn it into a conversation. Yeah, get ready to get spooky and dead and <laughs> the things for the uh, Halloween season. So, woo. Woo, woo. Uh, until next time, I'm Megan and I'm Ella, and this is Modern Medieval the podcast. Do, 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 do.